Listen to the words of Scripture as they are printed in your bulletins and written in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Scripture says that then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, govern, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I find it interesting that Samuel has only one problem with what the elders are saying. They come to him and say three fairly rude things. One, you're old, your kids are out of control, and oh, by the way, we need a king. I try to imagine a meeting where a group of elders, uh, of people who are leaders, coming to me and saying, hey, you know, we got to talk to you about three things. You know you're in trouble when the first thing they say is, you're kind of old. You know, you're even more in trouble when the second thing they bring up is your kids are out of control. And then when they say, hey, James, we'd really like a king if you could find one for us. You see, Samuel was really upset with them asking for a king. And there was a really good reason. Because they were trying to replace God, the king, with a human king. And they were forgetting the two things that God had been drilling into them from the day that God brought them up out of Egypt. The first is that God is and always will be and always has been king. And the second is that God, God has the best plan. Now, the nation of Israel had always been run or, or ruled by judges, at least for the past hundreds of years. The judges had had controlled things, except the difference is that the judges would consult with Scripture and with God's voice and with the law, and they would discern the best path forward. And then they would pray to God, and they would listen for God's voice leading the people forward. But the difference is, 
is that they were not the king. God was always understood to be the king by all of Israel and by the judges. So you can understand Samuel's reaction when he said, wait a second, why is it that you want a king? Now, the people of Israel had identified that there was a problem. That's definitely true. But the thing is that they weren't very good problem solvers. They weren't very good at their critical thinking skills when they got into tough times. Now, I met a guy the other day who said that he went to the doctor because, and he said this to the doctor, every time he scratched his nose, his back hurt, he got a migraine, and he had a sore throat. And he said that the doctor gave him the most miraculous advice. The doctor said, can you guess? Exactly. Stop scratching your nose. You know, sometimes the most obvious solution is the solution that's right in front of us. And sometimes that's also the most obvious problem. And sometimes when we're trying to identify the problems in our life, we're always pointing out. You know the famous adage, when there's one finger pointing out, how many fingers are pointing back? Three. See, the problem many times is ourselves. And that's what Israel didn't understand throughout their history. It wasn't the judges or the system that was the problem. It was actually that they had not continued to follow God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Albert Einstein had a really great quote, and Albert Einstein said this, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. Or I should have said, we cannot solve our problems with the same, no, I should, my wife said, do not do an impression today. And if you want to add weight to any sermon, just throw an Einstein quote in there. It always helps, so it's just a tip. You see, the people who came to see Samuel on that day had come to the mistaken conclusion that the system was not working. And the actual problem was that they were not following God. Of course, they were right in saying that there was a problem. Things had gotten pretty bad. But their solution was to change everything. Their solution was to lose their identity and their uniqueness and to mimic their neighboring nations and to have a human king. You've heard the old saying that the grass is always greener. Well, this scripture highlights that mentality lived out. Or a more exhausting saying to me is trying to keep up with the Joneses. Have you heard that one? The reason that many people turn their attention away from God is because they sing, see things and people and circumstances that look like they are closer to heaven than what God is offering. And they convince them that someone else or something else is so much better. And they imagine that heaven is probably that direction. The Bible teaches us that we're made in the image of God, which is a confounding concept. It's a confusing concept. And my three kids, when they were born, people told me that they looked like me. And I did not see it at all. They just looked like babies. In my mind, all babies look alike. No offense, my wife is sitting in the back and she's shaking her head like this. But my oldest of three children is now three and a half. Yes, do the math. And she is starting to look a little bit more like me. I'm starting to see the resemblances. But what I'm also seeing is that she's acting like me. And the reason that she's acting like me 
and she's moving like me and talking like me is because she's watching me and she's spending time with me and her focus is on me. The other day, I found a picture on my cell phone that my daughter had taken of me when I wasn't looking. And it made me realize that she is always watching me. But when we look at God, we too grow and mature and develop, and we begin to look more and more like God. We begin to act more and more like God and move like God and talk like God and think even like God. But when we turn our attention away from God and we focus our attention on things that are not God, be it people that we lift up really high in our life, no matter how wise or clever or perfect they may seem, or things or aspirations that are apart from God, then we begin to look less and less like God and more like the things that we chase after in our lives. And this gets to the crux of the matter, the cross of the matter. The second point is that God's plan is best. When Israel began to model themselves after other nations, now the key point is that the other nations had kings. The nations around them had kings. And they decided they wanted to look like the other nations. They saw success in the other nations. Times were tough for the people of Israel at the time. They had been beaten time and time again. Recent history for them was not good history. And they looked at the neighboring nations and they realized that the neighboring nations were on the top of the heap. And they came to the conclusion that what was wrong with what they were doing is that they weren't looking enough like the neighboring nations, that their system was wrong and they needed to look and act like the neighboring nations and move like the neighboring nations. You know, it can be tempting in tough times to begin with the conversation that the old ways are not good ways anymore. We can be rash in our assumption to throw out the old ways and abruptly change the direction of our churches or our lives or our families and to end up going in a direction that is not one that God has set for us in our life. Now, I've spent quite a bit of time in my garden. I see Jack McHenry down here, who's a gardener. He, he will have a few comments for me afterward when he hears my gardening, my methods for gardening. There's some pretty smart people in here. Now, I have this method of a trial and error with gardening. So if a plant isn't working in one location, I move it to another location. If I want a plant to succeed that I'm starting out in my garden, I plant it in 10 locations, and eventually one of the locations will work. Pretty bad, right? And so I had one plant in my yard, and it was a lime tree. How did I know it was a lime tree? Because it had a sign on it when I moved into the house that said, Lime. I took that sign off, that's all it said, and I proceeded to try to get this lime tree to grow at my house. Now, I talked to a number of people, and I did, a number, I did some research at the garden center, and I even brought in the limes that I had, and they were shriveled up, and they had no juice to them, and the leaves were even withering. And I really didn't know what to do. I'd never seen a lime like this or tasted one that was this horrible. 
And I thought, maybe there's some medicine that I could give to the tree, some way that this tree could come back. Well, I talked to someone and they said, you know, you've got to cut down the lime tree. It's no good. And I didn't want to cut it down because it was just about to produce more limes that were bad, and maybe they could be good if I gave it a shot. So I decided to look to the Bible for horticultural advice, which, by the way, is the worst idea you can ever have. Maybe. But that's not the purpose of the Bible to teach you how to plant things. But Jesus did talk about how to make an unfruitful tree or give an unfruitful tree an opportunity to become fruitful. Jesus said, if you have an unfruitful fruit tree, does anyone know what you do? You dig around it, and you fertilize it, and you wait for how long? Anyone know? Two years. And wait for it to become fruitful again. Turns out, I looked online, that's exactly what you should do to try to get a tree, a fruit tree, to to be more fruitful. So the amazing thing is that it didn't work at all. The limes were still shriveled up, and the leaves were still shriveled up, and I was about to take an axe to this tree, just cut this dumb tree down, because it it was useless to me. When I decided to look online one more time and to type in the word shriveled up limes and then do an image search to see if anything would show up that looked like my limes. And sure enough, there were lots of trees that had this problem. I clicked on the images and I found out, someone's probably nodding, they know what the problem is. It's a different kind of tree. It's a kaffir lime tree. It's a tree that is popular in Thailand. And it's not meant to be used on your tacos or in your drinks that would be the wrong way to use it. The right way to use it would be to use it in Thai green curries. And it gives the color to the curry. And you can use the leaves in your salads, slicing them up into very thin strips. And you can even use the leaves to wash your clothes, which I will never do, but I just think that's really great. See, that tree became my most prized possession in the yard. Every time someone comes by, I tell them the story and I show them this beautiful tree in the yard that I thought was completely useless and was my least favorite item in the yard because I'd had so much struggle with it. But what I discovered is that when you discover the purpose for something in life, it ceases to be useless and it becomes valuable to you. And a lot of times when times get tough and we think that we're not fulfilling a purpose or we can't see the ways in which God is using us, we need to remember that each one of us is is made for distinct and unique purpose in this world. And that we have a distinct calling and that it's an important calling and that we should not give up. This is what God was saying to the nation of Israel. I've set you apart. You don't look like other countries. When you try to make your lime trees look like other lime trees, well, you're probably just hurting them a little bit. But, but when you embrace God's purpose for your life, you thrive in ways that you never imagined before. See, this is true for our own lives. As we look to, as we look for ways to thrive in our life. We should be looking to God for our direction and our path and our purpose and our plan in every way possible. Now, there's an interesting end to this story that I think is interesting. The people, after they heard the litany of ways in which the new king would destroy them, just like they had tried before with another king that had destroyed them, they still decided to have a king. They said, God, give us the king. And you know what? 
God chose a king for them that they never would have expected. His name was Saul. And he became one of the best kings that the earth had ever seen. And God met them in the place of mistake, in the place of where they had made a decision to go the other way, and he still met them there. And God provided them two other kings and three other kings. You might know the names of King David and King Solomon, some of the greatest kings the earth had ever seen. You see, there's hope for us wherever we are. God will meet us and draw us to him. But even those kings that were the best kings that the earth had ever seen, they had fallen far short. They had big flaws. They were not the perfect king that everybody had anticipated or hoped for. Even in our political cycle, doesn't it seem that every time the presidential election comes around, there's, there's another perfect president that's going to solve all the problems for us? And if you haven't been through it before, and you see, if you have been through it before, and you see someone else for the first time saying, this person's going to solve all our problems, you just say, okay, okay, I'll be with you on that. You see, there is no perfect human being. And God knows that we need a model, that we need someone who can be our king, who can be our leader, who can be the one speaking the wisdom and guiding us every step along the way. And that's why God came into this world in human form. To show us how to move and what to do so that we could see God and talk to God and know God's name as Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, who healed people and was compassionate in ways that we were supposed to and designed to be. And who went to the ultimate battle to fight darkness. And went to the cross and died for our sins and conquered the darkest darkness that we could ever imagine. And came back victorious on Easter morning, resurrected and crowned the King eternal. See, we have a King in Jesus Christ. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, and we keep our loyalty and our faithfulness and our hope and our joys and our ambitions, and all of our desires on Jesus Christ, well, then we will discover our unique purpose being fulfilled with every breath and every thought and every step we take. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for speaking to our need, for reaching us in our need with your hands and your feet. And thank you for being willing to go the distance for us, for conquering that darkness, for defeating our fears, for giving us the invitation to be not just your people, but your children, welcoming us into your family. So God, we pray that you would guide us, guide our thoughts, our hopes, our ambitions, and our fears in the coming days and weeks and months, that we would discover that your plan in our life is the best plan. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.